Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a new composition which features a random assortment of all living creatures. You'll find that it's not quite exactly the same as the one by Camille Saint... What's his name? Camille, in his research, was slightly behind, and I guess that some critters just plain slipped his mind. So to fill in this void in the animal kingdom, I'll read some new verses. I'm not gonna sing them. Now kindly shut up, and I'll narrate for you Carnival of the Animals. Part 2. All right, Matt. Well, thanks to Mark last week, we had a very educational, highbrow episode of Weird Algorithm. Classy AF. We're going to throw all that out the window. This We're going to throw all that out the window. In fact, you know what? I, I never do this, but I'm going to start with one thing because it was so classy that I forgot to say something about uh, the Peter and the Wolf, which was just in terms of overall Al themes and stuff that we track. There is a good Al theme at the very end that we missed, which is that at the very end of Peter and the Wolf, what does oh. he say? The moral of the story is to be, watch your oral hygiene. Yeah, he loves and brush your me, teeth, take care me. of your teeth. Al is a strong supporter of good, of good oral hygiene. So. That's something that comes up a lot. We've already talked about toothless people <laughs> and it's going to continue to happen. So I'm just uh, in terms of tracking things, Al loving good, clean teeth. He got it into Peter and the Wolf. Yes. Yes, he did. Good. Good call. I'm glad you yes. remembered to bring that up. Um, yes. We hinted at this a little bit. I think I can't remember if this is while we were still recording or not. Who knows? <laughs> um this one is going to be a little bit different. Let, last episode, we we spent a good hour really breaking down the 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 importance of the song "Peer and the Wolf," how highly acclaimed it is, the whole history of it tied to the Soviet, and we we really, I, I, as I think you would agree, we we definitely did a good job of celebrating Wendy Carlos while still barely dipping our feet in the water of Wendy yeah. Carlos. Um, so I think on this one, we're going to do something a little bit different which is that we'll talk a little bit about wendy carlos we'll talk a little bit about the carnival of animals um but then i think we're literally just going to analyze this like wacky ass poem that al has uh had wendy put to music yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean so i would also start because we, we touched on this briefly uh in last week's episode but in doing research for this and i didn't even know all of this about wendy i mean i knew some of it but um, okay, so just a quick backstory for Wendy Carlos. Um, she started releasing records in 1968 under the name Walter Carlos, 
And then starting in 1973, she started releasing records under the name Wendy Carlos. Now, as you pointed out, that is a wildly early time to publicly change like that, to publicly make that transition. That is incredible. I I cannot even imagine uh, the courage to go through that at that point in time. Having said that, I looked into it, and Wendy, over the years, historically, has does not like to discuss gender or sexuality or any of that type of stuff in relation to her career. If anything, she is does not like the fact that that is what she is best known for, which I totally understand. There's actually a quote, quick tangent, Wendy Carlos's website is amazing it is like from the 90s and it looks like it's still from the 90s it is like the perfect like relic of a 90s website including weird links all over the place that lead into crazy circles that don't work she has like a bio page she has like a discography and all these references like a blog types thing just talking about her life somewhere there she discusses hot takes that she has gotten from over the years and people writing to her to say, to, to chime in on how they feel about her lifestyle choices. And she discusses it in kind of coded language is interesting because she even makes a point to say that there's certain words she does not want to use on her site because she feels like it would drive the wrong people to the site. It's very smart, but I just wanted to read because I actually really liked the way that she phrased this in talking about her, her, you know, lifestyle choices and changes she said if you had recovered from cancer 30 years ago would you enjoy being defined as that person who was dying of cancer could cancer victim become your essential identity okay then how about former cancer victim would you remind an orphan that there was a time where they were unwanted and unloved would you keep photos of auto crash victims around to show them that despite months of plastic surgery their faces and bodies had once been severely chopped up consider a much milder cheekiness he used to stutter when he was growing up But mom, I don't stutter now. Not now, but you used to all the time. Please, mom, let's not talk about it. Yes, please indeed. I like that. I think that's. I like that too. I think that's a very, you know, again, as we've talked about with a few (laughs) topics like this on the show before, one of these subjects that's really not my place to talk about it at as at all. You know, this is her thing. So I just wanted to acknowledge that out the gate. I, I think Wendy is a pioneer in many, many, many ways. Uh, we'll focus on the musical side. Uh, because that seems to be what Wendy prefers, and I am all about that. On her website, she even has called out um, people who she thinks has talked about her in a shameful way. She has a hall of shame (laughs) on her website, and mentioned in the hall of shame include Sarah Vowell and Ira Glass. Really? I know, I know. So these are like... People like two like public radio personalities who by every measure should be among the most like liberal minded people in the world. And I guess even back in the day, I mean, of course, this even this Hall of Shame thing was written in the, I think, late 90s, early 2000s. So um, this goes back a long, long way. And as we've talked about before on the show, the way people talk about these things, the language we use has changed a lot over many years. So I think maybe maybe it's that that simple but anyway i just wanted to put that out there as a a jumping off point before we continue to talk about wendy's music and uh sort of contributions to classical music and composition and electronic music and yeah that's i mean i guess that's what it comes down to she is a electronic music pioneer um you know we just finished a, a pretty random run of electronic pioneers on one hit thunder where we covered the buggles Thomas Dolby 
and Gary Newman pretty much mm. like one after another. But we're talking about 1968. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a time where, yeah, like she is playing Moog synthesizers, which are brand new. They are enormous, uh, complex. Mark was talking about it in the last episode. Like those things couldn't even stay in tune for more than a couple seconds. The first thing that she did was like, well, I'm going to record Bach (laughs) on this little thing. Like it, it, it's so outrageous and audacious. Side note, if you don't know it by look, anyone who has ever flipped through a record bin, I think would recognize the cover to switched on Bach. Um, it is like one of the most famous uh, album covers from that time period you will ever see of like the guy like dressed like Bach with the ridiculous like white curly hair, like a judge's wig uh, standing in front of a room full of synthesizers and cables and stuff. Um, it was sort of like a classical meets loungy almost record or like your very early synth is almost like exotica. They use these types of terms for it. And she recorded these very virtuoso performances of Bach Um on a synthesizer, which I think for the average listener was a delightful novelty and in the classical world made her an absolute pariah. <laughs> it was so like unthinkably, you know, classical is not a genre that is particularly interested in uh, uh, like electronic innovation, generally speaking, especially not at that point in time. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, now, what did you learn about like... Peter and the Wolf, we talked about this last week. Like, Peter and the Wolf, I had just always known. Mm-hmm. Not the case with Carnival of Animals. No, I was not familiar with this piece. Um, so the uh, Carnival of the Animals uh, is originally composed by a French composer uh, whose name I'm going to pronounce to the best of my ability as Camille Sans-Sans. Well... I mean, Sans, Al Sans. even refers to to them as Camille Saint. What's his name? Yes. Uh, so we're gonna just stick with Camille because we'll say Camille. Yeah. Um. Uh. It is almost looks like it would be spelled. And funny enough, I looked this up because I, again, I'm not super familiar with this piece. So the original version of this was just instrumental, and then it was um, uh, it was poetry was added to it by a poet named Ogden Nash, and Ogden Nash. Um, started his poem, his introduction to the original Carnival of the Animals. The first line he wrote is, I'm going to try to pronounce it right because that's part of the joke. Camille Sans-Sans was racked with pains when people addressed him as Saint Sains. (laughs) 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 So in our language, it looks like it's spelled Saint Sains. Sans-Sans. Sans-Sans. Gotcha. (laughs) But... Now that we've gotten that joke out of the way, we're going with Camille. <laughs> All right. Perfect. All right. Let's composed dive. by Camille. Carn of the Animals, originally composed by Camille. So, Al kicks this off. We we have about 14 tracks here, uh, if you're listening to it on a CD. Uh, and it says, this new composition, which features a random assortment of all living creatures, you'll find that it's not quite exactly the same as the one by S- S- Camille St. What's-His-Name. Camille, in his research, was slightly behind, so I guess some critters just plain slipped his mind. So to fill the void in the animal kingdom, I'll read some new verses. I'm not going to sing them. So kindly shut up, and I'll narrate to you Carnival of Animals Part 2. If we're talking about Alisms, the the just kindly shut up is just such a reoccurring... Like, the amount of times he's telling us to stop talking in his songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Um, he also, uh, we talked about this a little bit last week too, but um, this is one of the only moments here. Cause this is again, this is original music we're talking about that's coming up. It is inspired. So the original Carn of the An- uh, Carnival of the Animals was the same concept of this, where it was a little poem about an animal and then musical accompaniment that was supposed to embody that animal. Yes. This was a popular piece. This has been performed a lot over the years. Again, I'm not super familiar with it, but it has done well, especially in the children's, this intersection of classical music and children's music. Uh, This was a big thing. Funny enough, another thing we sort of touched on last week, but I'll mention here again, uh, Camille, this is another example, wrote this and hated it. (laughs) (laughs) And described it as so frivolous that they did not allow public performance of it until after they died. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. It is a kind of it Isn't it interesting to think about like th- just think about the idea in music in the arts, right? You make something that is you consider frivolous and you consider like beneath you in some way. Like it's not at your level of sophistication or whatever it is. So much so that you wait until you have died to let people hear it, and then it becomes the most successful thing you ever made. I mean, that's like that's, how mu- how how deep is that? Just like the na- essence of the human condition. I th- I mean, that, for sure. I look. Wow. How long was it? I I think Radiohead still hasn't played Creep. <laughs> like, I, I, I think they've maybe done it like in a sort of self-aware like we're doing this as a fun joke because we you all know. We don't like like I think they've done it like a little bit since then. But yeah, no, this is the weird sensation of like, I mean, again, we could have a a whole other podcast just talking about the relationship between an artist and their work. And then the fans relationship to that as well is a very complicated situation with really no as far as I'm concerned, there's no right answers to these questions. I think what it comes down to is how prolific the rest of your stuff ends up being, because it's it's a case of like. I mean, we'll use Wheatus as an example. You know what yeah, I mean? Let's like, Wheatus is, to me, as a fan of the full band and everything, you're a great band with like multi tiers and like something like the Valentine LP is this like almost prog rock type album with these mm-hmm. weird time signatures and all that stuff. But like to most people, it's like it boils it down. You have this one four minute song that is how people just decide the entire band is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's true. like, it's one of those things where it's like, if they don't like Teenage Dirtbag, they immediately assume that they hate everything else that you guys have ever made. And yep. if they like Teenage Dirtbag, they might come out to a show and be like really confused and disappointed by the songs that they have to listen to for the 25 to 30 minutes before they get to hear Teenage Dirtbag. But, like, but imagine a world where Brennan wrote Teenage Dirtbag and was like, ah, no, this is silly. I'm not. Yeah, I'm never going to play this. again. And then he puts out prog rock records for, for 30 years. And then after he dies, people hear Teenage Dirtbag and like, this is great. Why didn't he release this? Yeah. I mean, like, that's, what, a, what a tragic, like weird story. Like, I, I it's just so it fascinates th- me to think about. Do you think if in a separate multiverse, if if he just was like, you know what? I'm embarrassed by Teenage Dirtbag. I'm never <laughs> playing it live again. Uh, yeah. Weedus is going into just full prog rush type music with like Weedus somehow become this like music journalist and like snob like darling band that everyone talks about i have i have thought to myself a lot and we've talked a lot about like it's the double-edged sword of having a low like 
a, a name that's loaded with something, right? Where it's yeah. like, there's nothing we could do that would be far out enough that people wouldn't be like, oh yeah, it's the Dirtbag Band. And they're like, <laughs> that's always going to be like, we, you can't dissociate those things. It's, it's just impossible. Unless we, like Brendan did another project with another name. That yeah, would be the, the only thing you could do to separate. That's like, it's something I think about all the time with a lot of the bands, like you, Punchline, like these bands where it's like, what more... What more can you possibly do? Like you guys are legitimately putting out the best records of your lifetime and like you can't escape the fact that like there's a handful of people that only want you to sound like dirtbag. Punchline can't escape the fact that people are just like punchline isn't punchline without Paul in the action album. Like Mm -hmm. like it's just this double edged sword that unless you get to that like fallout boy paramore panic at the disco level where you've had so many hits that people are along for the ride with every like weird genre twist you want to go on like yeah. people love to shit on Weezer but like they keep having hit songs and they keep changing up their style and they keep doing whatever the hell they want because they were like a- they were lucky enough to have enough rapid succession hits I was to like say, be able to do whatever the hell they want it <laughs> my uh my Weezer appreciation is well documented but um and that'll be our follow-up podcast to this one by the way yeah um and uh uh but yeah no I will take um, every time I will take Weezer opting to push themselves into weird and uncharted territory over uh, just doing either trying to make the same record over and over again or just giving up and deciding that we're going to be purely a like a throwback. Act. I always like, say all the time, like, tell you me whatever. Like it. Yeah. Tell me what your least favorite Green Day album is, and I'll still explain to you why it's better than like your favorite punk band doing the same hit album for the seventh time. 100%. 100%. I'm, I'm always uh, like anyone who's still pushing themselves in, in a way where like, I still want to try to write something new and interesting, which rivers absolutely does. Billy Joe absolutely does. Yeah. I, even if I don't love it, I respect that so much. I, to so use much. a sports analogy, because God knows that we're a sports loving. Oh yeah. Let's <laughs> do it. Podcast. Let's get into sports. I'd, I'd rather someone Before we go talk up, about the carnival of the yeah, animals. <laughs> I'd rather someone go up and just have the biggest strikeout while trying really hard than just mm-hmm. like bunting to get on first base easily. Yep. You know what I mean? And like there yep. are plenty of artists, and I won't name any names, but there are plenty of artists where it's like, oh, cool, you're just releasing a new version of that same album you've been doing since 1993. It, it, w- it won't always work uh, when you try to swing that hard. You'll, you'll miss, you'll strike out sometimes, but when you connect... Yeah, I mean, you, you, you get can. an American idiot that literally rejuvenates your career for another Absolutely. 20 years. Absolutely. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. All right, so here we go. We get into the first animal, the aardvark. The aardvark is really a curious creature. If you're an ant, then he's likely to eat you. Although his long nose makes him look rather hideous, he's still listed first in the encyclopedias. I love a good slant so rhyme. Much, so much slant rhyme in <laughs> Al's poetry here. And you know what? I've, I forgot to say it earlier. There's a, um, 
on Wendy's website, I found Wendy actually talked about this record and talked like a little snippet about each track. So I will chime in with those after nice. you do Al's poem. Uh, and Wendy said about Aardvark, if you think about that slow, large insect eater, you might find this musical portrait about right. A solo tuba and horn chug out an insectly flight of the bumblebee just below the occasional flicks of a long tongue. Oh, I love that. Right? right. We get to hummingbirds. I love to watch the hummingbirds just hovering for hours. They look like mini helicopters pollinating flowers. And yet I still feel sorry for the little hummingbirds. They always have to hum because they never learn the words. That and one is he, just a straight up. That's like a Dr. Seuss poem. That, it really, it really that's is. Almost I mean, it's, cute. It's <laughs> it, it, it's totally yes. Uh, Wendy says uh, she uses Sansan, Camilla. <laughs> <laughs> gave us the large graceful swan, which was one of the movements of the original uh, Carnival of the Animals. I think that's the most famous. If you look up the swan of the original Carnival of the Animals, I think that's the most like likely you'll recognize it. Um, gave us the large graceful swan in majestic andante played on a solo cello. Here we have that tune as a scherzo played on a solo piccolo for her diminutive <laughs> fleet-winged cousin. There's some great language in these yeah. in these posts. So the smaller version of the swan is the hummingbird. Love this. All right, so then we get to snails. I've learned a few things in my life about snails. They don't care for salt, and they leave icky trails. It's pretty darn hard to tell one from the other, and French people like them with garlic and butter. Another slant rhyme. Another slant rhyme. Another <laughs> shot at the French. Why not? <laughs> Just always dunking uh, on them. Always dunking on France. Uh, and then from Wendy, we have, um, this is slithery music with sliding chromatics fitting this creature's moving habits. The rhythm is a lugubrious two against four. I love and, that word and usage. What could, I know, right? And what could be more plotting than the William Tell overture theme in slow-mo? I read that and I went back and listened and it is very similar to the theme from William Tell, another like notable piece of overall classical music that they use here. So I love the fact this is clearly Wendy is taking notes from Al here and is incorporating musical parody and theme parody into this this work. It's brilliant. There's a reason why this works so well as an overall piece, because I think it really does. Yeah. No. It, yeah. It, all right. So then we get to the alligator. This is possibly one of my favorite ones. Um, so yes. Deep inside the murky swamp, there lives the alligator. His policy is first to chomp, and then ask questions later. Although his lifestyle may seem crass, I really wouldn't knock it. He'd never wear a shirt that has a yuppie on the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. A nice little throwback to uh, Buy Me a Condo, one of my favorites. Dude, I, absolutely um, hilarious. <laughs> That Final is a line. great, great, great joke. Um, uh, Wendy says, a hip, in quotes, a hip pair of wise guy ideas. The second featuring a sharp-toothed clatter of xylophone and piano alternate back and forth and quickly. Better stay alert. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then we get the amoeba. The amoeba is so small you need a microscope to see one. It hurts the eyes, but I'll concede I'd rather see than be one. They never sing or laugh or talk or eat fondue or quiche. And if you take one for a walk, you need a tiny leash. I know the thing must have a brain, although I couldn't tell you where. It sure must be an awful pain to be so unicellular. <laughs> the the <laughs> hardest rhyme the in the hardest entire... Rhyme. 
I also love the fact, I think that might be the longest poem he wrote for the amoeba. For the amoeba, the tiniest creature. (laughs) The tiniest creature. Um, Yeah, uh, Wendy writes, uh, this was very just matter of fact, but it's nice. For the tiny restrictive world of these single-celled creatures, we hear a sad little theme with microscopic darting motions all played above a continually held octave C heard in the cellos and basses. Nice. All right. Pigeons. Pigeons are such reprehensible things. Some critics, I'm told, call them rodents with wings. They terrorize folks with their constant dive bombing, which some find distasteful and some quite alarming. But still, they fulfill an invaluable need. They give old men on park benches something to feed. In return for this honor, all they ask is that you allow them to soil the occasional statue. <laughs> some, some that, that was also there. reasonably long as well, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, there they are, just ahead, cooing nervously. Suddenly they see us and fly over a f- for a feeding, while several swoop around us. The bag of goodies is eaten, and the flock takes wing, leaving a final calling card on the nearby statue. Yeah. So yeah. now with that in mind, listen again to at the very end, there's a great little like hit of a piano, like a blink, like a few <laughs> keys at once, which is obviously <laughs> supposed to be this pigeon shitting on a statue. Love it. All right. The shark. The shark is not a friendly fish. That fact, it's always proving. It seems this creature's favorite dish is anything that's moving. He'll chew your face off in a flash or cheat you if you let him. So never loan him any cash and be careful when you pet him. I love that he still took the animal of the shark and turned it into also a lone shark type situation. Delightful. This is, yes. So for shark, she writes, put together equal parts from the uh, DS array, which is a Latin term for a certain movement of this, from the DS array of the Mass for the Dead, add a Jaws-like motif and fishes from the Camille, from this Sanson original, and we come up with this seductive watery portrait. Now, even before I read this, I did think to myself, listening to the the music here, there was definitely a little bit of Jaws. You can hear that ominous rumbling thing going on with the shark there. They definitely use a little bit. We're getting close to, there's one creature where as soon as I heard the music, I was like, Wendy nailed this one. Like, like there's one specific animal where I, I think of all of them, she hit it the most out of the park. But it is not the cockroach. Some think the cockroach is a pest, but that's the insect I like best. I love the way they run in fright when I turn on the kitchen light. And when I squish them on the ground, they make a pleasant crunching sound. Simple enough. (laughs) Simple enough. We enter to a stealthy suspense theme, soon joined by the scurry of little feet, and this repeats. But the bugs hear us and scatter in a frenzy. Later that night, it's the same story. Click on the light and they all scattered away, except for the one that we catch and step on. (laughs) <laughs> I love that Al loves cockroaches and then notes that he loves he loves them, but also loves killing them. Loves killing them. <laughs> a great little like Al, again, his dark sense of humor. If uh, if pigeons and amoebas were the longest one, we now come to the shortest one. I could tell you a story about the iguana, but right at the moment, I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Wendy says, as the poem says, we don't try too hard to find a musical image for this poor creature and produce only this ascending series of false starts and endings. <laughs> All right. So this is the one that I think musically she so good. Absolutely captured the vibe of the vulture. The life of the vulture is one long sick joke. He hangs around waiting for something to croak and then picks the carcass right down to the bone. 
reminds me of one or two lawyers I've known. Getting a lawyer joke in there. Nice. Another Al classic. Another classic, yes. Um, big ominous bird yells a big ominous opening idea. It's followed by a wary, slightly seedy blues with a deviously chromatic accompaniment. And I think the vulture is the longest track, too. I, I think, think it is the longest track, I think yeah. it's like three minutes and some change. To sustain um, out the apprehension, bits of the opening idea sneak in from time to time. Ooh. Now, this is a great... I, I wrote it down as well, Matt. This is my favorite, I think, on this on this side of the record. Yeah, it's a Vulture's great piece. Really cool. Um, then we get to Unicorn. The Unicorn is just a horse, excepting for its horn, of course. The Unicorn is just a myth, which is to say they don't exist. <laughs> And what better way to depict this noble, elegant steed than with a sophisticated, stallion-esque theme in the horns over a majestic figure in the basses and the timpani. But the Baroque second idea eventually pushes it all away and the image dissolves into nothingness, into myth. I want to bring up something real quick before we dive yeah. into the poodle. I don't know what the connection is here. There's possibly none. I'm very curious about Al's poem about a poodle not describing a poodle and then him also releasing an album called Poodle Hat later on. Like, what is what is his obsession with poodles not being any, being anything but an actual poodle? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yes. his poem for Poodle, he says, The poodle's a slimy, carnivorous beast. In pastures, you might find it grazing. Its fangs measure 23 inches at least. Its antlers are simply amazing. Sometimes it will bury its head in the sand. It's our main source of pork, ham, and bacon. But then again, on the other hand, I could be completely mistaken. Wendy writes, it looks like this poor animal can't quite make up its mind. At first we hear sort of cute doggy variations, but then isn't that a snail or a hummingbird? A vulture? A roach? A shark? Certainly he's describing the aardvark's tongue. Oh, what a what is my little dog? <laughs> and then we get to the final poem. It's getting late, so I suppose we should be drawing to a close. Besides, my voice is sounding hoarse, and even my rhymes are getting worse. Poor Wendy's feeling in the dumps. She's worn her fingers down to stumps. And so, farewell. This record's through. Now, go find something else to do. Perfect. Perfect ending. Since the poodle took care of remembering some of the earlier critters, our finale this time can simply be can simply be a playful rondo with three parade themes and a carnival coda to bring the proceedings to a happy close. Come again, <laughs> is what Wendy writes. Uh, uh, just to go back to poodle really quick, because I think this is the only poodle is a recurring f uh, thing for Al. Talking about all these different references, little things he likes to talk about. We already just talked about dental hygiene. Yeah. Uh, Poodle is another one. And I think this is only the second reference to Poodles in Al's career. Following the first one, which we noted happens in Don't Wear Those Shoes. Yes. He talks about stomping the Poodle flat. <laughs> I think this is only the second time he actually talks about Poodles, but that's going to keep coming back in our, in our lives here. Um, I don't know what Al's fascination with the Poodle is. I mean, it is a... In the world of comedy dogs, I think it does. There's a lot of comedy yes, in poodles, sure. especially toy poodles. Yeah, toy um, poodles. But if there's and, more to and, it than that, I don't know. Yeah, that's very weird. All right, well, we did agree that we would rank this album. I feel bad about where I'm putting this album. I'll be upfront. I'm putting it at the bottom of the list. Uh, yeah, and I'm and I'm putting it down there for this reason. 
I think that everything that I truly find fascinating, I think this album is fascinating. I think that the fact that it exists is fascinating. I think that it is an incredible achievement, but a lot more credit to me goes to Wendy Carlos over Weird Al in the grand scheme of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark said it really well last week. Like, it's a lot of easy jokes in yeah. this for the most part. Yeah. And, and like, Listeners, I do not want you to take this as me saying this is a bad album and that you shouldn't check it out. You should absolutely dive into this album at least once because it is fascinating. It's interesting. It's weird. It's different. It's just we hinted at this last week. It's so hard to properly rank something that is such a collaboration with a with another artist. And at its core, this just it feels more like a Wendy Carlos album that Al was able to do his goofy shtick on top of than it feels like an authentic Al album. I would almost even say that when the... I'm not sure if you've been following uh, how the Hard Times have been doing like legitimate band album rankings lately like that aren't comedic in any way. Um, And they'll do a thing where they will place an honorable mention on like an EP or like a B-sides compilation, but they'll still put it where they would have ranked it amongst the Mm -hmm. other albums. And I feel like that's how this is ultimately going to be is like, I don't think this is going to be at the bottom forever, Mm -hmm. but I think it'll always have this asterisk of like, this is an honorable mention that I'm just placing here as like where I would rank it in the grand scheme of stuff. That's totally fair. Because I'm never going to pick the... The chances of me listening, it also comes down to, will I listen to this more than I listen to Polka Party? And I will listen to Polka Party more than I listen to Peter and the Wolf and the Carnival of Animals. (laughs) I I might do the same, but I am still going to put this above Polka Party. All right. I am putting this in the second to the bottom slot for me. So, and it's interesting because we're approaching talking about UHF, which is another difficult album of his to talk about because it is so unconventional. Um, This album is so unconventional and so strange. And so like, even in his world, this is so hard to, to uh, parse that I cannot help, but admire it tremendously. Um, Like this is, I said it last week. I'm saying it again. Like, I I think this is the, it's Either this or UHF is the strangest thing he has ever released. Yeah. And UHF, at least to a certain point, like you remove like a handful of tracks off of UHF and it's just a very short Weird Al EP that like fits into what you expect. But it is it is those extra bits and pieces that, you know, people who've listened to our mailbag episodes are already well aware of where it's like. What is Gandhi 2? Like, what is Spatula <laughs> City? What is yeah. Let Me Be Your Hog? Like, there's just these these weird things that, like, if you had... it, <laughs> George of the Jungle, Harvey the Wonder Hamster, like, when you have one of them on an album, it's one thing. When you have three or four of them on an album, you're like, what do we even yeah, yeah, do? Yeah. Like, I still don't know. I mean, I think we've already concluded we're not going to rank... Spatula City and Gandhi 2 as really anything. We'll do the episode, but they're not going to get ranked. I still have not fully figured out what we do with Let Me Be Your Hog and Fun Zone because, like, they're Al songs, but, like, to what extent? 
<laughs> like, like it, let it, me be yeah. your hogs barely a song and fun zone is technically an owl's backup band instrumental more than anything true <laughs> so it's like, true yeah yeah no i i'm we haven't i i i also don't know exactly what to do with that stuff <laughs> i think that uh you know we talked about at the end of um i think at the end of even worse or at least at some point in the discussions of even worse that that was a record that um to me, I felt like he found a sweet spot of I'm going to put this big, big, big lead single at the front of it. And then after that, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And and the the choices that he made on that record uh, of the songs he parodied, the style, the originals he wrote, all of that felt very much like he was following Polka Party, a ra- record that did not do very well. He was like, you know what? I'm just going to go with my instinct. I'm going to follow things that are interesting to me that I like, that I think are funny and cool and whatever. And I think it shows. And I think he knocked it out of the park. I love the fact. I think in a way I almost admire it. It's there's a, an element of bias here that's beyond the music, which is that I love a project like this, which is could not be less commercially viable. <laughs> Like, this is just like such a weird choice to make. And so, uh, like, I think in so many ways, just ill advised, uh, and yet does it anyway, because it gives Al the opportunity to work with someone who I'm sure he deeply admires. And it gives him an opportunity to like flex a different creative muscle that he never actually gets to do in the way that he works. Um, so for that, I admire it greatly and, and it pushes it above for me a little bit more than maybe it should but i i just think this is like such a fascinating marker in his discography you know yeah no 100 percent um well speaking about all that uhf next week we start the weird journey that is uhf we're we're like 90 percent sure we know what we're doing for the movie UHF <laughs> at this point so stay tuned for that but yeah we're gonna do next week's episode will be tied to the movie uh, I will suggest that if you don't have the movie on DVD, trying to acquire a copy of UHF might benefit that yes. episode. Hint, yes. hint on what we're thinking about. And then yes. the next week, we're just diving into the soundtrack and and working our way through it. And yes. uh, I'll throw this out there, guys, to show a little bit of the wizard behind the curtain here. Be kind to us extra hard on uh, timeliness of references in those episodes because uh one of us is going to be in europe for a really long time so we're going to be we're going to be really trying to cram a whole lot of recording (laughs) in for that album and possibly the next album just to just to make things easier on us we're we're going to make it work but we got a lot to do you guys (laughs) um uh before we totally wrap up i want to just say one more thing about wendy carlos because i i want to uh really drive this point home to our listeners uh if you're not familiar still with uh, Wendy, some things you might know. Wendy famously did the film scores for Clockwork Orange, The Shining, and the original Tron movies, which are all incredible pieces of music. Highly, yeah. highly, highly recommended. And we actually did um, attempt yes. to reach out to Wendy to have her on this episode to talk about this music because I thought that maybe... Uh, that doesn't happen very often for Wendy, but Wendy is also, I think, 84 years old and yeah, <laughs> did, so. did not get back to us, which is very reasonable, but absolute love and deep respect for Wendy Carlos. I cannot recommend it enough um, looking into her catalog and her career. It, she is an absolute legend and one of those artists who is like 
way more important than she gets credit for, as I was as was pointed out last yeah. week. So and um, and I'm gonna throw this out there. We also didn't give Wendy a whole lot of time to get back to us. I think we emailed maybe two weeks before we recorded this. So if Wendy is like a lot of uh, eighty year old internet users, um, and she gets back to us at a later date. I am perfectly oh, we content. Will revisit this. Yeah, pausing Absolutely. whatever we're Absolutely. in the middle of discussing to yeah. uh, to get that in there. Yeah, but but just tremendous love and respect to Wendy Carlos and and uh, uh, for an album as we have now we'll go back one more time uh, for an album that very few Al fans I think are familiar with. Um, seek this out, find it. You will not find it in a store. It's extremely unlikely, but you can find it scattered around the internet. And I highly recommend you listen if for no other reason than to experience like one of the most oddball things Al has ever made. Yes, 1000%. We'll be back next week, guys. Bye. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 